We're glad you guys are here this morning. I need your little, I need your help right here at the beginning of the message. So I'm going to need for you to help me make a list. All right, are you up for this challenge? Um, I want to know what you think are the top three athletes of say like the last hundred years. The top three athletes. Just shout it out. I'll write them down. Jesse Owens. That's a good one right there. All right, good. I heard a little Emmett Smith and and who else? Ooh, I like Tiger. I'm writing him down. Okay. <laughs> All right, good. All right, that's the top three athletes of the last hundred years. Beautiful. All right. Um, maybe the top business leaders from the last hundred years. Just shout them out. Man, everybody says Bill Gates. What's the deal with that? What about Steve Jobs, everyone? No, just kidding. All right. Uh, I'm a Mac guy. Sorry. Um, All right. Somebody else. Lee Iacocca. I don't know how to spell his last name, so I'm going to spell it Lee I. Good. All right. Somebody else. Hold on. I can't hear you people. What? Henry Ford from way back. He just barely got in under the 100 years mark, I think. All right. We're going to put Henry Ford down there. All right. How about the, um, let's say, top three political leaders over the last hundred years? Come on, just shout them out. I love it. We're in conservative country up here in Kansas, aren't we? Ronald Reagan. All right. (laughs) All right. Roosevelt. There we go. All right. Roosevelt. There we go. Good. Somebody else? Eisenhower. All right. We're all very American here. All right. Wonderful. I got to tell you, the Saturday night crowd was a little more international, all right? Um, All right. How many of you, if I were to hand you a piece of paper and ask you to write down that same list on your piece of paper, it would exactly match my list that I've got here on the board? Let me see. Oh, that's not a good sign. Anybody? No, probably not. You know why? It's because the way we rank things is extremely subjective, isn't it? I mean, it matters, first of all, how much you know about that person. It matters your personal opinion about that person, maybe about their beliefs, maybe what they look like. It could be any number of things. In fact, we could get a bunch of experts together, you know, guys who just sit around and expert. I don't know what they do, but they're experts. And ask them to make the same list. They wouldn't come up with the same people. Their list would be entirely different from your list and from my list. But you know what? We have a fascination in our culture, in society, with ranking things, with saying, you know, this is the top 10. Wow, these are the top 10 events from 2008. I even came across this book. It said the book is called Top 10 of Everything from 2008. I think that was the title. Um, It had like 1,000 lists of the top 10 things from 2008. We're just fascinated with ranking, with lists of knowing Who fits in this scale? You know, is Emmett Smith better than Tiger Woods at what he does? Or is Tiger Woods better than somebody that's not on that list? And we kind of go through this whole thing. And that mentality, that and and maybe it's more of a symptom than, than than a cause, but we tend to rank things in our own life. We want to know, where do I fit in to the rankings? How do I measure up to these great people? Or how do I measure up to the people around me? You know, we, we, we want to know that because that's, that helps set the ground rules for how we behave. If we know how we fit in, then we know how we can interact. If I think I may be, uh, I may be a, a little above you on the importance scale, I'm going to treat you differently 
than if I think you're a little above me. You know, because I, I might try to, I might listen to you if you have something to say, if, you're, if I think you're slightly more important than me. I might, like, give you respect if I think you're slightly more important than me. But if you're not, probably not going to, right? That's just kind of the way it works. Now, as I was preparing for this, I thought, um, you know, there, what would be a good illustration? Who would be a good person that I could kind of show you or give you an illustration of, of what it's like how it affects our decision-making, how it affects our rules when we think we're maybe slightly more important than somebody else. And so I came up with somebody, and uh, fortunately I don't know this person as a close friend because otherwise I'd be real embarrassed to show this to you. But take a look, all right? Watch this. Oh, we should have gotten here earlier. Yeah, just stick with me. Ladies and gentlemen, from your 1969 New York Mets, please welcome Tommy Nietzsche. I write for a newspaper, New York Newsday, and me and my photographer, we're here to just cover the event. Uh, the press event was last night, sir. Today is for the public. Oh, all right. So, you know, we'll just talk to the players, snap a couple pictures. Ah, uh, no, nah, I can't let you do that, sir. These people have been waiting here all morning. Oh, yeah, I, I know that. But, uh, again, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Ray Barone from New York Newsday. I'm sure you are, sir. But today you're going to have to wait in line like everyone else. Okay, then. Look, Ray, let's just go to the back of the line, and, you know, how long could it be? Three hours. Really? I don't want to wait in line, yeah? I'm going to have to ask you gentlemen to move along because I need to keep this area clear. Look, look Ray, it'll go fast. We'll play 20 questions. No, 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 look, there's got to be something. Hey, you're Ray Barone from Newsday. Yeah, 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 that's me. You know, I see your picture every day. I read your cover, man, it's great. Oh, uh, can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah, you know that thing you wrote last week about the new stadium proposal? That was really good. Oh, hey, thank you, man. Thanks. Thanks, man. It's nice to get out and, uh, and meet the readers, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. Hey, what are you doing? No, nothing. Oh, uh, let me ask you something. Did you read the one about hey, the... Hey, uh... hey, 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 hey. No cuts. No, 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 no. I'm with him. I'm with him. No, you're not. I've been staring at the back of this guy's head since 6 o'clock this morning. Maybe you should have brought the jumble. <laughs> No, I'm not, Ray, I'm not Ray, cutting. Look, look, let's just get in line before it gets any longer. No, okay? look. You know what? There's Tug McGraw. I've interviewed him. Let me talk to Tug McGraw. Uh, Tug said it's okay for us to go in. No, he didn't, sir. I heard him. He doesn't like you, sir. <laughs> the back of the line. Well, no, no, no. He's, he's razzing me. That's what we do. We're good friends, me and Tug Bow. Uh, I'm sure on. you are, sir. Move along. Yeah, back of the line. Yeah. 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 Who do you think you are? Look, look, I'm, I'm Ray Barone. I work for Newsday. I'm covering this thing. I'm a reporter. Good. Give us a report on the back of the line. <laughs> okay, look, Ray, I'm getting in line, all right? No, 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 just wait. Look, I just need to talk to Art Chamsky for a few seconds. That's sir, all. I've been nothing but patient with you, sir. I know, I know, but look, but... he's right there. I just need to talk to him. No, I want to talk to Art Chamsky. My brother, he really loves him. Hello? Hey. Can I get some dipping sauce, please? 
And I'm not eating this. Who can eat buffalo wings without dipping sauce? Certainly not Ray Barone from New York Newsday. <laughs> what, you wanted to wait in that line? Look, I'm sorry, I'm not going to wait in the line all day like everybody else. Well, obviously you're not like everybody else because everybody else got to meet the Mets. <laughs> You probably know somebody that's like that. They kind of walk around with life with a sign that says, yeah, in the rankings, I'm number one, right? You know some people like that? None of them go to church here, but you know some people like that, right? All right. We walk into a situation and we say, I'm the best. Now, I mean, we might not come out and say that, but that's pretty much how we act. We go into a situation and we, we kind of size up the situation and we say, yeah, I'm the most good-looking person here, or yeah, I'm the smartest person here, or yeah, I've got it together, I'm the wealthiest person here, and, and we kind of go into these situations, and we say, we're number one. When, if you know somebody like this, you try to avoid them, all right, because you don't really want to come in contact with a person who thinks they're number one. Now, most of us don't do that. Most of us do something else, and to show you what we do, I need, I need help. I need like six volunteers that can stand for a good amount of time. No, I just need six volunteers. Come on, what's up with you guys? Back there, come on, come on, come on up here. Quickly, there we go, come on, right here. Come on, I need, come on, four more. This isn't supposed to take most of the message, all right? Four more. Esther, you gonna come help me? Come here, Esther, come on, come help me. All right, come on, Marissa. Good, all right, good, good, good. How many do we have? One, two, three, four. I need two more. Is that what I, yeah, I need two more. I had to do a quick count. There's one more, thank you. All right, come on, Denise. All right, good, give, give me your names. Here we go, your names. Warner. Aaron. Melissa. Marissa. I kind of rhymed. That was cool. Sherry. Denise. All right. Warner, you're the only guy up here, all right? So let's say we're at a wedding reception, okay? Since there's so many women here, that's just kind of, we're all hanging out. And I walk in, and um, I immediately begin to make conversation with people. You know, I've walked into the environment, I'm making conversation, I'm talking to them. And, and um, you know, after I get to talking, maybe to Denise for a while, I think, you know, I think she's probably the, the brightest one of the bunch. I mean, she's definitely the brightest, you know. And, and um, all right, got some fans out there. That's good, good, good. And maybe I'm talking with Erin, and, you know, she's maybe not quite as bright as Denise, but, you know, she's, she seems bright enough. And, and um, you know, and I think, you know, Alyssa, she's like kind of maybe not quite, you know, up there. Kind of, you know, we kind of go do and do this whole deal. We do this whole deal and maybe give Sherry a, a five, you know, and, and uh, give Marissa maybe a six here. And we're kind of ranking people. Of course, you don't actually hand out numbers. I realize that's stupid. But you're doing that with your mind anytime you're in an environment, whether it's your workplace, whether it's some kind of unusual situation you've walked into, your family. You're constantly ranking and evaluating, where do I fit in into the importance scale? And, you know, then there's somebody that in the group always that you go, all right, he's like way down the list. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you don't hate me, Warner, do you? All right. Good. And I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Wait, he just went up 33 points. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I, I'm, I'm not quite as bright as Denise and, you know, not as good looking, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm up there. And then, you know, Aaron, again, a little better than me. And then everybody else, you know, maybe not so much. And I just, you know, I kind of fit in the middle. This is where most of us are. There's a problem with this, though, because you might say, well, that's just being honest, right? I mean, you're kind, of, you're, you're kind of gauging things, and you're saying, okay, you're not the best, but you're probably not the, like, the dumbest one in the bunch, or you're not the ugliest one in the bunch. The problem is, when we assign rank, we can only assign rank 
on some of those things that I've mentioned. You can only assign rank based on looks, net worth, intelligence, personality. Um, These things are things that we observe or we can gauge, we can measure. But there's a problem with that because how will I treat the person who's ranked one and two? How will I treat them? Just say it out loud. How will I treat them? Better, yeah. <laughs> you weren't sure what word to use, but yeah, just better, right? I mean, I'm going to give them more respect. If Denise says something and I, and I have evaluated her as smarter than me, when she says something, I'm going to listen. I'm going to focus in, right? Whereas if Warner says something and I think he's 99, you know, he's going to be talking. I'm going to go, ooh, dee doo, dee doo. Yeah, that was good. Good thought, Warner. Wow, that was brilliant. We won't be quite that dramatic, but you know what I mean, right? We treat people differently based on how we rank them. Now, some people go into a situation, switch me cards, Warner. Some people go into situations and they automatically assume they're the worst in any situation. I'm probably talking to some people who are like that. Maybe growing up, you were constantly told that you were a loser. You could never get approval. You could never achieve what you were supposed to achieve. And so you've just kind of programmed it in your brain. doesn't matter where you go, who you're with, you rank last. And you go into a situation, and maybe you'll hear a message that we're going to talk about today, and you think, man, I don't struggle with pride. I, I'm a humble person because every time I go into a situation, I, I'm last. I mean, that, there's nobody that's, that's you know, as big a loser as me. We're going to talk a little bit about that some today because I want you to understand that that's not humility either. Going into a situation and saying, I'm number one, we all know that's pride. We recognize that and we go, but that's obvious. We we avoid these people because they're, we'd call them idiots behind their back, right? But going into a situation where you say, I'm not the worst, I'm not the best, but I'm somewhere in the middle, the problem with that is, you're still saying you're more important than some other people. Even though, you know, you'd have that kind of range of humility that says, I at least think one through four are pretty smart, all right? And then sometimes we go in and say we're last. But here's the problem. That when we do this, we're basing it on what we can see. We're basing it on our opinions. And I've got to tell you something about opinions. I've got to tell you something about perspectives. Even like the list that we compiled... That list changes. Your perspectives change. Your rankings constantly change. Because they're based on subjective things. They're based on things that constantly change. And and we don't really know how we rank. There's only one person who knows how we rank. And And that person is God. And God has given us a way... That we can view people, when you walk into a situation, at work, at home, whatever, that I think will help you today. To do that, though, I want us to look at a story in the Bible. You guys stay up here. That's why I asked if you could stand for a long period of time, okay? If anybody gets tired, you can just sit on the floor. It's really comfortable. Luke chapter 18. Look there with me, if you would. Mark actually used this story about... Uh, eight or nine weeks ago, and so I got really scared to use it, but I'm going to use it anyway because he's an amazing storyteller. Jesus dealt with some people in his day that walked around saying, I'm number one. These guys were called Pharisees. Basically, they were like the big dogs of society. I mean, they, they, were, they were like 
they knew everything there was to know about the Bible at the time, which was what we call the Old Testament. They knew, they like had everything memorized. They knew exactly what little intricate details of the law needed to be followed. And so they thought they were pretty special people. People often thought they were pretty special people. They would have ranked them number one on their lists over there as political leaders. So Jesus tells this story, and I love, I love this first line. It says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Isn't that the definition of somebody coming in with a number one rank? You say, oh, I'm better than everybody else. So Jesus tells this story. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Mark explained this a few weeks ago, but basically tax collectors in that day, they didn't work for, they weren't like a part of the country, you know, just a a civil servant job. What they were is they worked for the Roman government, who was essentially the oppressor of the children of Israel at that point. So it's like working for the enemy to collect taxes. So people hated him. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Isn't that wonderful? Let's, let's notice something about this real quick. He said, I'm not a sinner, but then he threw this phrase in here that's pretty interesting. He says, like everyone else, who was the Pharisee looking at to decide whether he was a sinner or not? Everybody else. He was looking at the tax collector. He's looking at these other people, and he's saying, compared to these people, I am better than them. He had confidence in his own goodness. Listen to what the tax collector, oh, I'll finish what he said. He goes on. He wanted to elaborate to God. He says, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. That means forgiven, completely cleansed. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, there's a verse that we, uh, we've talked about last week and, and this week. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, basically, don't be conceited, don't be vain, but instead, give recognition to other people that they're better than you. And so we might think that verse means I'm supposed to assign myself 99 every time I go into a situation. But we've already said, we can't really rank ourselves. So I was really bothered by that as I was preparing for this. I'm thinking, God, I know that can't be right. We're not supposed to just walk around beating ourselves up and looking and saying, you know, everybody else is better than me. I'm no good. I'm a loser. I'm going to go to the garden and eat worms. I know that's not how we're supposed to do things. So what's the deal? When I was reading this passage, this story about the Pharisee and the tax collector, it finally occurred to me. The Pharisee was judging, he was ranking based on his opinion. He cared about his opinion. He cared about the opinion of other people. He wanted to be known as the best. The tax collector cared about one person's opinion. If you look in the story, he didn't say, I am worse than everybody else. He simply said, God, I am a sinner. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. 
He didn't draw comparisons. He didn't say, I'm better than so-and-so, but I'm worse than so-and-so, so God, shouldn't I fall in the middle somewhere? He said, I completely depend on your evaluation of who I am. That's what God's trying to tell us about how we rank people. Instead of going into situations and saying, you're you know, better than me, you're less important than me, you're more valuable than me, we walk into a situation and we should view people. Would you guys flip your cards around there? We look at everybody and we say, valuable. They are valuable in God's sight. I'm valuable in God's sight. Notice there's no, there's no uh, better, best, there's no number one, number two, number three. Because God is the one who decides that. You realize God has given you everything that you have. He's given you the talent that you have. Some of you may be sitting in this room and you think, man, I worked really hard to make the money that I've made. That's very true and that's to be commended. But God has given you the ability to think, have business sense. God has given you the ability to to get up in the morning. God has given you the talents that you have. If you're an attractive person in here today, God has given you that attractiveness. If you're a smart person, God has given you the smarts. If you're maybe on the other end of the scale and people don't consider you smart, you realize God has given you the brain he wants you to have to fulfill a special role in life. We are each valuable. Thank you, guys. You can go down. You can take those cards with you. It's like my little memento to you. All right, there you go. No teasing Warner that he's 99, by the way. Oh, you didn't get 99, Warner. Sorry. I've got it. Um, I'm a parent of young children. We've got three young kids. And and, uh, sometimes we get these magazines that tell us that as parents, we're supposed to instill self-confidence in our children. We're supposed to help them feel good about themselves. And on the surface, that seems like a good idea because, you know, if you're self-confident, you're probably willing to take more risks. You're probably willing to, do, to try more things and that sort of thing. But I have a slight problem with that because self-confidence is what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the fact that we can go into a situation and go, yeah, I'm like number one or I'm number four. Right? And it, we consider it kind of a reality. This is just how I am and I'm, I'm okay with that. The problem is self-confidence takes us down the wrong path. Because our opinions are always changing. What we need to instill in our children, what we need to have in our own lives, is a term called God confidence. Because God is the one who's in charge of, of everything. God has handed out the things that he wants handed out. And when we walk in and judge and we say, I'm better than you, you don't know what God has placed inside that person. You don't know what role God has created that person to have in life. And when you judge, you're basically putting yourself in the place of God. Instead of stepping back and saying, God, I know everybody you've created is valuable. I hope that's challenged your thinking some today in the area of ranking people. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe you're still thinking, man, you don't know the business world. I've got to, you got to stand up for yourself. You got to be, you know, you got to be confident. You got to be strong. I just want to throw this out there. That God says throughout his word, and I don't really necessarily understand how it, how it works out. I just know what God says. It says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It says it throughout, throughout his word. There's one verse in particular, James 4, verse 6. It says that. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know what his conclusion is? He says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. 
In fact, in the end of our story with the Pharisee and the tax collector, it says, whoever exalts himself, whoever says, I'm the best, or I'm, look, you know, look at me, the Bible says that person will be humbled. You've seen that time and time again work out in life. People who kind of, you know, constantly trying to, you know, fight and tooth and nail to get to the top eventually experience something where it just kind of all falls apart. You've also seen those people, though, that after you leave a conversation with them, you think to yourself, man, that's just, that's a genuine person. That's a genuinely good person. They don't toot their own horn. And I believe God works in situations to bring people to a place of being exalted, to doing what God wants them to do because they don't walk around ranking people. They don't put themselves in a certain spot. Instead, they say, God, I understand that you're in charge of this whole thing. Now, will you necessarily achieve greatness and fame because you're humble? No. Because God's got a specific thing in mind for you. And, by the way, he doesn't necessarily say it's all going to take place in this life. And I, can't, I don't want to get off on this huge tangent. But essentially, you realize that the life that we're in right now is just kind of like a shadow of the real thing to come. Right? God tells us that in his word, that he has created you and me for eternity. He has created us to live forever with him. That's why he made us. He wants a relationship with you and me. And so I don't know whether the exalting is going to happen in this life. I, I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could say in four years this would happen to you. In three years this is going to happen. We just can't do that. We yield it to God and we say, God, we know you're going to take care of it. I'm going to walk in humility. I'm going to say every person around me is valuable. That may cause me some hurt in the, in the temporary, but I know you've got it in control in the long run. Because the real life to come is what really counts. Think about this. Your life here, you may last 70, 80, 90. Medicine's taken us up to 100, 110. Bible says that you will live for all eternity. I was talking with John Parker, our drummer, the other day. We were talking about trying to get our mind around what it means for something to go on forever. Because if you really try to think about it, it'll kind of hurt your head after a while. Because we're so used to things ending, aren't we? I mean, we're like, you know, in... in 15 minutes, hopefully, the service is going to be over. You know, I'm going to eat lunch, and then at 2 o'clock, I'm going to go, we're just used to time. God has created us to last forever. So my question to you is this. Are you ready to step into that eternity? I was thinking about uh, something that happened here in, in Wichita this last weekend. First time ever the Antiques Roadshow came to Kansas. See, I mean, you... you Thought we were just kind of nothing. We're, we're, high, we're way up there, all right? Wichita, we got Antiques Roadshow in yesterday at Century 2. I have a friend that got tickets to go, which apparently they're hard to get. I guess you send, like, pictures to them, and they, like, choose which people are going to get to come, and you get two tickets, and you only get, like, you know, three seconds with an appraiser, and boom, you're out the door unless you get called back for the TV thing. So she went to Antiques Roadshow yesterday. And it got me thinking, because in the Antiques Roadshow, what these people do, you, have you seen it? You've seen Antiques Roadshow? Raise your hand if you've seen it. This is, it'll help you wake up. It gets the blood going back to your heart. There you go. All right. Um, the Antiques Roadshow, these people like bring in stuff that's really, really valuable, right? They're like, oh, this is, I've had this for 14 generations. This is my mom's, you know, she was married to George Washington. I don't know, just making up, that wasn't 14 generations ago, was it? All right. Um, and, you know, they, they come in, and you can see they're all proud, and, and they're sitting there, and the appraiser goes, this is a beautiful piece of work. And they're like, yes, it is. And they go, but it's pretty much worth nothing. 
You, have you seen that? It's, it's, it's hard to watch because you're just like, oh, poor people. They thought they had something worth so much. And you know, other people will take something in. They're like, you know, this is really cool. It, it's kind of junky looking. I don't know, but what is it? You know, it's interesting. They go, that's worth. Ah. In fact, Dan Benner told me that uh, the most valuable piece they had this weekend, this is of great interest to us guitar people, was a left-handed Fender guitar from 1964. $48,000 worth. That's pretty sweet, huh? Don't touch my guitar, by the way. $48,000. You know, that, that person probably found it under their bed. You know, so they, was, they probably bought a house and somebody left the guitar under the bed. I don't know. And they're like, oh, this is cool. Let's take it to the... $48,000! Wow! Yeah, that's so cool. But most of the time, that Antiques Roadshow, people experience the first scenario. They think they have something super valuable. They find out it's not. That's kind of what happens to the guy in our story. Is he considered his own righteousness valuable. In fact, so valuable that he thought that's all he really needed to get to God. He thought, dude, I, I, I don't cheat. I'm better than the tax collector guy over there. I don't commit adultery. In fact, I'm not even a sinner. And so God, thank you for making me that way because I know you and I are, we're, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're buds. Jesus says, uh-uh. God didn't even hear his prayer. Can you imagine with me for a moment that in eternity, it's kind of like the Antiques Roadshow, you stand before God and you have something in your hand that you think is very valuable. Your righteousness, your goodness, your efforts, your good works to get to God. And you stand before him and you say, God, here's, here I am. Here's my righteousness. God, I've served you. I've worked for you. In fact, Camilla reminded me this morning that there's a passage of scripture that Jesus says, there will come in that day people that stand before God and say, I've done all of these wonderful things for you. I've prophesied for you. We've, we've healed people in your name. We've, we've done all these wonderful things. And Jesus says that that day, God will say, depart from me. I don't even know you. It's like that Antiques Roadshow, only on a much, much higher scale. Stand before God, and God says, I'm sorry, that's not worth enough to get you into heaven. You know why? Every one of us are sinners. Everyone. There is no one in this room that has somehow managed to avoid that. So we carry around this death sentence in our life, and we think that maybe if I'm good enough, I can kind of balance it off, and everything will kind of equal out. And when I stand before God, God will kind of give me the pass and kind of wink at what I've done and, and let me into heaven. The Bible says that's not the case. But... God loved you so much that he made a way for you to experience that eternity. He made one way, and that's Jesus Christ. Here's what he did. He sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to live a perfect life. Remember, nobody else has ever done it. Jesus lived the perfect life. And then he could pay for your sin, and he could pay for my sin. It's like a free pass. But a lot of times, man, we go, this is too, that's too easy. I mean, it can't just be that easy. God says it is. He says, simply accept that I have sent my son Jesus to die for you. You claim that he died for you and he gives you complete forgiveness of your sins. Then you step into something and you step into eternity with something that is of the most extreme value. And that is Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you. And God says, based on what Jesus has done, you can come into heaven.
I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. I hope today has challenged you, if you're a follower of Jesus already, how you think about things, how you think about people. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we want to give you that chance. I don't want you to experience that heartbreak of standing before God and saying, God, I've done my best, and to find out it's not enough. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? This morning, if you would like to simply claim Jesus' sacrifice for you, that's all that's required. The Bible says it's simple belief. It's no, it, you don't have to jump through hoops. There's nothing complicated. It's simply saying, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I am a sinner. I can't get to you on my own. I believe you died for me. The Bi- Bible says at that moment that you believe on Jesus, you have guaranteed 100% eternal life based on what Jesus has done. It's a simple thing. Simply say to God right now, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. I turn from my sin. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look up this way. It's a simple prayer, but what matters is your heart. The Bible says belief. If you believe that Jesus died for you, you have eternal life. If you've done that this morning, I'd love to get something in your hands that will help you take those next steps. This is like the starting blocks of what a real exciting life is all about. The starting blocks, I want to give you something that will help you take you down the the track a little farther. Um, If you would, just fill out your Talk to Us card. You can check the box. I prayed to receive Christ today. Take it by guest services of the New Spring store right out here, and we'll give you one of these packets to take with you today. If you don't want to do that, you can fill out your address, drop it in the offering bags in just a moment, or the boxes at the bottom of the stairs, and we would love to get in contact with you and help you take those next steps of faith. Thank you so much for listening to me this morning.